bit to um, talk about youth ministry. Really, really excited. We've got Tim Alford with us today. And Tim, I realised, whoop, whoop, I realised that I've been calling you Tim Alford for like the last like three years or something till, you, till I heard you introduce yourself and realised I actually got it wrong. But Tim is a really good friend of ours and he heads up the youth ministry for, for Elam, Limitless. Some of you might have heard of it. And um, we've become good friends over the last couple of years. And our adventure with DTI is similar to these guys' adventure with Limitless. In fact, we're sharing the site this summer. So we're the first week and then Limitless are the second a week. And so we're in it together. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're really, really excited. So Tim has got so much wisdom. Do you know yesterday, some of you were there and I was talking about his book, Leadership 101, which I seem to have become a sales rep for, but without any, <laughs> without any financial incentives. Um, so we'll be talking about that. But if you haven't got that book, if you're here, you weren't there yesterday, Leadership 101, he's written it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's written here, obviously UK-based. It's, it's very current. And uh, these guys have very similar values to us. So I would say, please read it. Read it with your youth teams. And I honestly believe that your youth ministries will be better uh, because of it, and for children's ministry as well, So if that's relevant to you. So over to Tim. Whoop, whoop. Thanks so much, Suze. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, what, a, what a pleasure and a privilege uh, to, to be with you uh, this afternoon. Um, as, as Sue says, we've been working together loads towards the summer, uh, by which she, what she really means is we've been panicking together loads uh, <laughs> towards the summer because it's all a bit scary. Um, but yeah, so, so good to be with you. Really grateful to, to Zeke and to Sue for the invitation. Uh, I want to share with you today uh, about 10 timeless truths for healthy youth ministry. So these are uh, 10 uh, leadership principles that transcend time. Uh, 10 realities that will remain true wherever, whenever, and whomever you lead. Uh, because we know that youth culture, and youth culture in particular, changes so fast, right, that some of the things that used to serve us well are no longer fit for purpose, right? Things like the fax machine, we don't, that's no good anymore. Cassette tapes, come on now, who remembers those? The film camera, now that's a good one. The VHS was a personal favorite of mine, like to rip all those movies off of the TV. Uh, uh, of course, the mini disc player, you remember that? I used to love my mini disc player, pirating albums, recording MTV2, <laughs> illegal but awesome. Uh, and uh, of course, most of all, for those in church circles. The, hands up if you're old enough to remember. Go on, B-O-H-P. Uh, things that are outdated, things that are no longer fit for purpose uh, in the day that we live. And so today, whilst I could tell you that if you want to develop a healthy youth ministry, well, what you need to do is you need to master TikTok. Um, the reality is that whilst having a strong TikTok game might serve you well in youth ministry right now, one day it will feel as nostalgic to think about uh, and as obsolete as, say, a floppy disk. <laughs> um, so whilst, hey, don't mishear me, it is undoubtedly important that we grapple with changing cultural paradigms. It is. It is important that we become au fait with the signs of the times and learn to adjust our practice accordingly. That is important too. But what I want to give you today are principles that will stand the test of time. Timeless troops that you can anchor your practice in, things that won't become obsolete or outdated like a VHS or a fax machine. So 10 timeless truths uh, to, uh, for healthy youth ministry. I'd encourage you, uh, I'm going to go fast to get these 10 in at uh, the time that we've got. So I'm going to encourage you to take notes because you won't be able to remember all 10, but I hope all 10 will serve you well as you lead. And the first is this, that fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. Fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. You know, the best leaders I know tend to be action-oriented, goal-driven, make-it-happen kind of people. And that is a good thing. But it's also potentially a very dangerous thing. Why? Because if our relationship with God is not the foundation upon which we build our lives and our ministries, then what happens is this. Our activity begins to determine our identity. But, but how many of us know that 
God is way more concerned about who we are becoming in him than what we are doing for him. And so, friends, I just want to urge you, please, never forget that God prizes intimacy over ministry. And actually, healthy ministry always flows from the place of intimacy. Always. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, he uh, says it like this. Your being with God or lack of being with God will trump eventually your doing for God every time. We cannot give what we do not possess. And we cannot help but give what we do possess. So I just wanted to, to, to push and, and prod and ask you some provocative questions. What is it that most gratifies you really? Is it your relationship with God or your accomplishments for God? Do, do you delight in God or are you just serving him? Do you enjoy God or are you just kind of his employee? And how much of who you are is determined by what you do? What would happen to your identity, I wonder, if your ministry was taken away? Because guys, we know, don't we? We are adopted children of God. That's who we are. And we function as leaders. But so very quickly, we conflate ourselves with our roles. But I want to say, let's, let's be leaders who, who do not have our identity so deeply hooked into what we do that we don't know who we are when we can't do it anymore. Because fruitful leaders are first faithful Christians. So much more I could say about this, but we must move on. Uh, because timeless truth number two is this. You cannot lead others until you first lead yourself. You cannot lead others until you first lead yourself. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, there's the story of David and his men. And they are uh, engaged in a battle against the Amalekites. And so David and his men, they go off to war and they return to their camp to find that while they've been away and engaged in battle, uh, all of the women and the children have been uh, captured and taken away by the Amalekites uh, from the camp. And of course, the men come back and, 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 and their sisters and their uh, sons and daughters and, and, their, and their wives, uh, they, they're gone. And so they, they begin to panic and out of their exhaustion and their fear for their, for their families, they begin to consider stoning King David to death. So what will David do in this moment? What will be his leadership choice? Does David stand up before the people and, and give them a big speech, a rallying cry? No, come on, we can do this. No. Does he gather his key leaders and have a strategic conversation about how they might engage with the problem? No, not, not first of all. Instead, instead, the scripture tells us this, that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Why? Because David understood this timeless leadership principle that you cannot lead others until you first lead yourself. Another way to think of it is this, you cannot build something that is bigger than you are. Because like it or not, we replicate around us what we cultivate within us. And this is why leadership is in large part, I believe, about embodying that which we invite others to follow. And we see that the, the Apostle Paul, he exemplifies this principle in, in, in his leadership, as we see from his repeated invitations to people to imitate his way of life. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, he said to the Corinthians, and then to the church in Philippi. Join together in what? Following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And you know, I, I used to think that it would be kind of arrogant or presumptuous uh, to say something similar to the people that I lead. But then I understood that is leadership. That is leadership. Because we cannot lead others until we first lead ourselves. How can we ask our young people to spend time in the Word of God when we start our days with Instagram? 
How can, how can we inspire our, our young people to be sharing their faith with their friends at school when all of our friends are Christians? How can we challenge our young people to sexual purity when we've been secretly clearing our own internet history? How can we ask anyone to do that which we're not willing to do ourselves? So a question I'd like to encourage us all to ask ourselves and to reflect on then is this, am I living up to what I want to pass down? Am I living up to what I want to pass down? Am I modeling in my life that which I want to see replicated in the lives of those I lead? Now, this doesn't mean we need to be people of perfection. Please hear that. It doesn't mean we need to be people of perfection, but it does mean we need to be people of integrity. Because when it comes to our leadership, friends, our character has to match our calling. Our, our character must be robust enough to hold up our giftedness. You know what? Isn't it true? And we've seen it so much. And uh, the, one of the enemy's most effective strategies is, is for our giftedness to take us where our character can't keep us. And so we've got to learn this art of self-leadership because what happens in that secret place will eventually become evident in the public place. What, what we do in the background, it will eventually become evident in the foreground. And so if you want to lead a healthy youth ministry, we've got to embrace this inconvenient truth. Healthy ministries are led by healthy leaders. You cannot lead others until you first lead yourself. All right, two down, eight to go. Here we go. You'll never hit a target you don't know you're aiming for. You'll never hit a target you don't know you're aiming for. Imagine for me, if you would, that one day um, you jump into your car one morning, you put on your seatbelt, you put your key in the ignition, put it into gear, and you pull out of your drive or wherever you're parked and you head off on a journey. But only minutes down the road, you begin to panic. Why? Because you've been met with a junction and you don't know which way to turn. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right. This is a stupid illustration. <laughs> and it is a stupid illustration, and here's why. Because that's never happened to you. And in fact, it's never happened to anyone. Why has it never happened? Here's why. Because nobody sets out a journey on a journey in their car without having a clear destination in mind. And yet, though we don't do it in our car journeys, so often we do it in our youth ministries. We set out on the journey without any clear idea of what it is that we're actually aiming for. And this is a problem because, as you well know, <laughs> the number of potential targets in youth ministry is infinite. There are so many things, aren't there, that we feel like we could be or we should be doing. You know, Friday night outreach groups, Sunday morning breakout sessions, Bible studies, mentoring programs, provision for children with special educational needs, schools ministry, detached work, managing transitions from primary to secondary, preparation for university, writing session content, pastoral conversations, engaging with parents, raising and releasing young leaders, social action projects, recruiting and training volunteers, fundraising, planning events, organizing residentials. I mean, it's exhausting just to list it, but here's the problem. If everything is important, Nothing is. And so you see, without a clearly defined destination, a target that you know with clarity your youth ministry is aiming at, what happens is this. We end up confusing motion with progress, expending an awful lot of time and energy on things that actually we may not need to be doing at all. And this is how we become really, really busy without necessarily being particularly fruitful. Because busyness and fruitfulness aren't the same thing. So what do we do to combat this ever-escalating, relentless activity? Well, what we do is this. We come to absolute clarity about the mission that God has uniquely assigned to us, and then we focus all of our energy and our attention upon that. 
See, your mission, it defines what you do, what you will and will not give your time to. Your, your, your clearly defined mission will help to create a clear filter through which to pass all of your decision making, through which to choose which resources you will and will not use, through which events you will and will not engage with, which training you, materials you will and will not utilize. And having this clearly defined mission will bring almost instant clarity to many of the leadership decisions that previously confused us because it means that when you're in your metaphorical car and you hit that junction in the road, you're not confused about which way to go. Why? Because you already know the destination you're aiming for and so your decision about your direction is already made. This is why Todd Bolsinger, he says this, there's perhaps no greater responsibility and no greater gift that leadership can give a group of people on a mission than to have the clearest, most defined mission possible. And, you know, I remember really distinctly when uh, my friend uh, Gareth and I, we went through this process with our local youth ministry. And what we did is we gathered our, our team together in my home uh, and we went through some exercises together to help us come to clarity about our mission, the thing that God was calling us to do. And after a bit of robust dialogue and a, a little bit of wordsmithing, we landed on this as our mission statement for our youth ministry. Helping those who are far from God discover full life through Jesus. And as Todd Bolsinger pro promised, it really was a gift. It was a gift to us because it gave us an anchoring point in terms of clarity and a springboard in terms of direction. It was like, it was like putting on a pair of prescription glasses for the first time because suddenly the kind of intangible purpose that we were seeking to grasp, we maybe knew it was there somewhere but didn't quite know how to articulate, became crystal clear. We knew where we are, were going and so therefore our destination determined our direction. So question for you to consider. If I was to go visit your youth team and to independently survey them today and ask them, hey, what's the purpose of your youth ministry? What's the shared mission of this team? Would your team answer in the same way? Because if they wouldn't, I want to urge you, pray and fast. Seek God. And like we did, gather your team together. Go through that process. Find that shared clarity. Why? Because you'll never hit a target that you don't know you're aiming for. Get that clarity around your shared mission as a youth ministry. Unfortunately, though, that's only the first part in the process. <laughs> because coming to clarity around your mission as a team, whilst it's absolutely critical and it will be a game changer for you, it's not enough in itself to actually arrive at that destination you're aiming for. And so enter our fourth timeless truth for the day, which is this. A mission without a to-do list is a wish list. <laughs> a mission without a to-do list is a wish list. What do I mean by that? Now, you guys know, you guys know, we youth leaders, we are great talkers, am I right? We, we can spend so much time talking about good ideas. But friends, let's not spend so much time talking about good ideas that we convince ourselves we've actually done something about them. <laughs> I love what Ryan Holiday says about this. He says that our ego wants our ideas and the fact that we desire to do something about them to be enough. But friends, you know, the, lead, the leader's not the first one just to see the opportunity. They're the first one to seize the opportunity. And, and here's the thing about leadership. Having dreams and ideas, it's, it's glamorous and, excite, and it's exciting. Actually learning to execute on those ideas is anything but. But friends, that is the difference between having big dreams and living those dreams. See, we all love to talk about ideas. And when we talk about dreams and visions together, it feels like we're taking ground because creativity is flowing, feels wonderful. But 
The reality is that we don't rise to the level of our aspirations. We fall to the level of our systems. And, and, and so if we want to see those things that we are aspiring for, those aspirations become destinations, then what we need to do is, is in our own lives develop systems for execution. Clearly defined processes by which we will take those ideas from a concept to a reality. And I would love to spend a whole other session unpacking some of those for you, but um, you can maybe read the book. <laughs> uh, it's my, my one plug. Okay, dreams don't work if we don't. We know that, don't we? So if we want to be somebody who doesn't just dream ideas or think about ideas, but makes ideas happen, then we need to plan and prioritize and protect the time that we need to execute on those dreams. Why? Because a mission without a to-do list is a wish list. All right, number five. We're going to take a little bit of a sidestep here, something a little bit different from number five, but ever so true. A timeless truth is this, that ministry without love is just noise. Ministry without love, it's just noise. As the Apostle Paul famously said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I have a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move the mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In our youth ministry context, we can have the best programs we can have the wildest events. We can have the most compelling preaches. But none of this is an adequate substitute for truly loving community. How was it that Jesus said the world would come to know him? He said it like this. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> I just think this is great. Can you believe that Jesus' strategy for evangelism was to love one another. I mean, it's too simple for us, isn't it? We want something more complex. But Jesus said it would be our countercultural community of love that would bear the most powerful witness to the reality of the gospel. It reminds me of a time when, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old and I was at college and our Christian union, wow, it was one of the closest things I've ever experienced to an Acts 2 community. And, you know, during that time when I was part of that college CU, we saw a whole load of other teenagers around us coming to faith during those years. And yet, we didn't have an evangelistic program. We never ran an evangelistic event or, or, or hosted an alpha course. We didn't have any kind of strategy or program whatsoever. But what we did have was a community of people who passionately loved Jesus and deeply loved one another. And it was compelling. And people, teenagers, were added to our number during those years. And I'm talking about people who are still now following Jesus 20 years later. And I know you're thinking you don't look like you could have been out of college for 20 years, but it was 20 years ago. And they're still following Jesus. And so, guys, listen, it turns out that evangelism happens when we love in such a way that it provokes a question for which Jesus is the answer. See, we, you and I, you've done it, I've done it. We can work ourselves into the ground producing the best programs, the most engaging sessions, the coolest environments for young people to hang out in. But if we do not first have truly loving communities, it's for nothing. So it's before the evangelistic event. Not that that's bad. Before the gospel of talk, of course we want to preach the gospel. But before the program, before the course, we must truly love our young people. Nick and Marjorie Allen say this, today's generations will not feel the need to give the Christian faith or you personally any he uh, hearing without some prior relational connection. To put it another way, people won't care what you know until they know that you care. Cheesy, but true. Because ministry without love is just noise. 
All right, number six. Number six is related to number five. If you want a healthy youth ministry, then please remember that young people need spiritual parents more than spiritual programs. Young people need spiritual parents more than spiritual programs, which is not to say that there's anything inherently wrong with the program. It's just that our programs become problems when they become so high maintenance that we're no longer left with the time or capacity to invest deeply in the people that the programs were designed to serve. And so I believe that a major problem that we have with youth ministry right now is that the role of the youth minister has essentially become that of a program manager. Um, Chap Clark, he puts it better than me. He says it like this. Youth ministry, in practice, has become an event planning, a volunteer recruiting and training managerial position to do what? Maintain the programmatic integrity of the institutional expectations of what youth ministry is supposed to be and look like. But friends, please hear me now. And if you switched out because I'm a bit boring, just please lean into this moment because I need you as youth leaders to hear this. You are not a program manager. You are a spiritual parent. And your job is not primarily to run a program. It is to raise a family. Just one more time, can I say, in case you missed it, you, you're not a program manager, you're a spiritual parent, and your job is not primarily to run a program, it's to raise a family. And we make a huge mistake when what we do is, what, I've, and I've been so guilty of this, is we, we kind of outsource the discipleship of our young people to our programs, thinking that, well, if our young people just attend our groups, this will automatically result in strong disciples. The pandemic showed us that was not true. Uh, because we think that our presentations and our curriculum will do the discipling for us. But as you well know, programs don't make disciples. Courses don't make disciples. Events don't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. And so can programs serve us? Do they help us? Yes, of course they do. But only as a supplement to and not a substitute for discipling relationships. So friends, leaders, please remember you are a spiritual parent before you are a program manager. And young people need spiritual parents more than spiritual programs. All right. That's number six. Here we go. Number, are we doing okay so far? All good? All right. Not, not too many to go. This one is one that's challenged me deeply. I don't think I always get this right, but I want to challenge you with what's challenged me, and it's, and it's this. If the youth aren't doing the ministry, it's not youth ministry. If the youth aren't doing the ministry, it's not youth ministry. We're, we're here because we're, we're talking about building healthy youth ministry, aren't we? And I really believe that youth ministry at its very best is not something that we do at young people or even for young people, but with young people. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, how he commissioned us as leaders. He said this, so Christ himself, he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Why? to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Son of God and what? Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what we see is that the task assigned to you and I, to those of us in Christian ministry, isn't to do all the work of Christian ministry it's to equip the Christians to do the work of Christian ministry. What are we? We're the equippers. We're the trainers. We're the coaches, to use our language from just before. We're the spiritual parents. And our job is not primarily to understand the Bible so we can do great preaches. No, it's to help young people to learn how to read the Bible for themselves. It's not to do all of the praying but to equip and teach our young people to spend time with God on their own in prayer. It's not primarily for me to use all of my spiritual gifts, but it's to help my young people just to discover and develop and fan into flame their spiritual gifts. As spiritual parents, our job, what is it? It's to help our young people become 
mature. To become mature spiritual adults for themselves with a robust, independent, and interdependent faith of their own. We want to be a springboard for our young people to launch off, not a ceiling that they can break through. Could it be that your most significant contribution to the kingdom of God will not be something that you do, but someone that you raise? Because if the youth aren't doing the ministry, it's not youth ministry. Three to go. And this is a big one. I'm hoping to get a big amen from the vineyard crew for the next one, Susie. Let's see what happens. Only personal encounter with God leads to personal relationship with God. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I didn't have to force it or anything. (laughs) Shabba. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you a provocative question that a friend once asked me. Who's the better evangelist, you or the Holy Spirit? (laughs) What do I mean by that? Well, perhaps an illustration from my own youth ministry uh, will help. See, Gareth and I, we were part of starting a brand new youth ministry from scratch through a church that didn't have any young people. And we had, like, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I think, you know, Gaz, we, we kind of had the youth group thing kind of down, right? We had a great environment, you know, relevant music. We had a really strong team. We had a fun program for young people to engage. We had engaging presentations. We had great conversations. And, and, and as a result of that, you know, relationships with the young people, they were deepening. And actually, the youth ministry was, was growing from, from where we started as, as well, from nothing. And, and it, was, it was growing and growing. And yet, during that period of time, whilst we were seeing young people who were from no faith background, not from Christian homes, coming to a place of like, oh yeah, I think that maybe, maybe there is a God out there kind of looking out for me. Uh, and maybe there is more to life than just, you know, the material things that I can see with my eyes and touch with my hands. That, that was happening. But what wasn't happening was people weren't becoming Christians. No one was becoming a Christian. There was an openness and a warmness towards God, but no one was becoming a Christian. And as we reflected as a team, what we realized was this, that we were creating loads of space for young people to have great conversations about God, but very little to actually encounter God for themselves. And so, long story short, we uh, started what we ended up calling emoji nights. I'll explain it another time. Essentially, worship, word, ministry uh, for young people kind of vibes. And then, guess what? We began to see a bunch of young people from no faith background at all actually start to follow Jesus, some of whom are on our young leaders team now. But it only happened when we, made, we began to make that shift from, from the performance of, of youth ministry to the presence of God, presence-centered youth ministry. And once again, Apostle Paul, he best describes what we were beginning to discover. My message and preaching, my youth ministry, was not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? A demonstration... Of the sp- a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that. Why, but why do we want a demonstration of the Spirit's power? Here's why. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, which is a crumbly foundation, <laughs> but on God's power. <laughs> I always find this statement kind of funny because if anybody had wise and persuasive words, right, it was surely the Apostle Paul. And yet, even Paul knew, as wise and persuasive as his words were, that talking about God is no foundation for relationship with God. Because only personal encounter with God leads to personal relationship with God. And this is why Summer Camp's DTI is so transformative in the lives of your young people. Because often for the first time, their faith moves from information to revelation. This is why so many young people respond to the gospel for the first time in the same context. Why? Because they see and experience the power of God for themselves and they're moved to respond. In both cases, it's the personal encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes everything. And the stats, the stats back this up. In in Youth for Christ's Z to A of spirituality research, 48% of the young people that they surveyed, they said that they had had a prayer answered. And of those, 68% said that it changed the way they viewed God or prayer. Of those, 24% said that it made them believe in God 
And 14% said it strengthened the faith that they already had. And the research concluded saying this, first-hand experience of God answering prayer has a significant impact on a young person's faith, whether they are a follower of Jesus or not. However, here's the kicker. This is where things get a little bit disturbing for us. So hang on in there. 78% of young people, you can see it right here, said that they have never had a spiritual experience in spite of the fact that 62% of young people have had contact with the church. Just let that sink in for a moment. Guys, are, are we okay that young people can show up to our gatherings and not have a spiritual experience? And Because, you know, sometimes I can't help but shake the feeling that maybe my youth ministry could be much the same as it is now if the Holy Spirit wasn't there. But, but this can't be. It mustn't be because this, we're in the business of the presence of God. Because it's in the encounter that the young person's faith comes alive. It's in the first-hand encounter with God that transformation occurs. The Z2A uh, research concluded saying, experiencing this God for themselves would go a long way in their belief and understanding of a God existing. So I'm encouraging us, imploring us, pushing us, challenging us to build youth ministries which facilitate transformational encounters in which the Holy Spirit can't be at work in young people's lives. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a much better evangelist than we are. <laughs> Nick and Marjorie Allen, they say this, if we are to see an authentic expression of the Christian life within current culture, then a white-hot centre at the heart of our lives and churches is absolutely crucial. The more secular society becomes, the more there is a need for raw Holy Spirit breakout. Come on now. We can believe in that. We can say amen. All right. Two more to encourage you with. Final, number nine, long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. Long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. You know, I've been doing youth ministry in one form or another for more than two decades. And um, in that time, I've had the privilege to travel, to see youth work of all different shapes and sizes and expressions uh, all over the world. Here's what I've discovered. The healthiest, most fruitful youth ministries are not necessarily led by the youngest, coolest, most relevant leaders. They're not even led by the most passionate and gifted leaders. They're led by the most faithful leaders. See, I've seen in my time youth leaders come and go with big dreams and lots of passion and big ideas. And yes, with the call of God over their lives and, and the gift of God in their lives, but where are they now? And then I've seen leaders like my friend Faye in Corby, Faye, who's been doing, doing youth work for three decades now, half of that time in the church in which she still now serves, and who is as passionate and fired up today as the day she began, probably more so. I've seen leaders like my friends Rachel and Hamish, who have quietly, consistently, faithfully served Jesus and young people down in Plymouth for many, many years. And these are not the kinds of leaders that you're going to see on Instagram, reels with cool motion graphics highlighting their preaches. But they have a legacy of young people who've left their group and who are following Jesus, serving Jesus in various places around the world. You see, long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity every time. I'm reminded of Enoch. You know Enoch's story? Enoch makes it to the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. <laughs> Amongst other great leaders, leaders whose names we know more than Enoch's, like Abraham, like Moses. And it says this of Enoch in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Enoch, he was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, so he's not in Hebrews 11 because he was taken away before he died. Before he was taken, he was what? Commended as one who pleased God. How many of us in the room today would love this to be spoken over our lives in our last days? I wonder. I long for that, Lord Jesus. 
So why? What, what's Enoch's secret? What is it about Enoch's life? Why does he make it into the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame? In fact, why does he receive this commendation over his life that in fact none of the others get in Hebrews 11? What was that about? Well, his story is told in just a few verses in Genesis 5, and it says this of Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, what did he do? Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch, he lived a total of 365 years. And Enoch walked faithfully with God. And he was no more because God took him away. See, Enoch, he didn't have a spectacular story of signs and wonders or a growing ministry. (laughs) And yet Enoch was commended as one who pleased God, listed here amongst the great heroes of our faith, prophets, kings. Why? Because he walked faithfully with God for a very long time. See, I'd rather be a furnace than a firework. (laughs) A firework, you know, it looks spectacular and it's visible and it's impressive and everybody applauds. Wow, amazing. And then it's gone. But a furnace sits in the background producing consistent heat over a long period of time. Leaders, youth leaders, you don't have to be spectacular to be significant. Why? Because long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity every time in the kingdom of God. Last one. We're wrapping up. Thank you for sticking with me so well. I'm really grateful for how wonderfully you've listened. And I want to leave you with this encouragement. It's not going to, it's not going to sound like an encouragement when I put it up there. <laughs> but just bear with me through to the end and it's going to come round, I promise. You will never get a promotion. (laughs) I was on a plane a couple of years ago, and I came across a movie called Fighting With My Family. Never heard of it? It is. Um, But I noticed that it had had Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it, and I thought, well, it must be good. So, So I watched it. Sure enough, it was excellent. And at one point in the movie, one of the characters said something that grabbed my attention, and they said this. Just because millions of people aren't cheering you on when you do it doesn't mean it's not important. And it struck me that this is a word for youth leaders in the room today. Because youth ministry in the world, even actually in the church world, it's not particularly visible. But just because it isn't visible doesn't mean it's not valuable. You see, guys, during your lifetime, you may well do something other than youth ministry or children's ministry. You could definitely do something that's more public or impressive. You you could do something that's held in higher esteem by the watching world. You surely could do something that pays you more. (laughs) But please hear me now. You will never do something more important because obscurity and greatness are not opposites. You see... Too often, youth ministry is seen as like a stepping stone into adult ministry, you know, a a place where people can train until they step up into the real thing. And I just wanted to say to you, if somewhere deep down inside, you have come to believe that lie, let me tell you what you need to do with it. You need to take that thought captive and you need to lock it up in hell with the father of lies, which is the only place where such poisonous nonsense belongs. Because what could you possibly be doing with your life that is more important than passing on the gospel to the next generation? I can't think of a single thing. And so in that way, you cannot get a promotion because there's no level up. And yes, it is a grind sometimes, isn't it? I feel that. And occasionally it's monotonous. And sometimes it's just very, very painful. But please know this, you are literally changing the future. When you meet that young person for a one-to-one, yes, you're changing their future. When, when, When you open the Bible together and that light goes on in a young person's heart and mind, you change the future. When that young person finally breaks through from self-harm, you're changing the future. When somebody gives their life to Jesus for the first time and there's a celebration in heaven, you're changing the future. And guys, in countless ways that you are never going to perceive this side of eternity, you 
are changing the future. And so I just wanted to finish this session, just as I wrap up, just to say thank you to all of you um, for everything you do, for your energy, for your passion, for your commitment, for your faithfulness, for your persistence, for your sacrifice. And you may not always be seen or thanked, but I wanted you to know that your name resounds in heaven. I cannot think of anything more important that you could give your life to than passing on the gospel to the next generation. So please keep going. Please don't give up. Smile of God is over your life today. You're serving Jesus. You're making a difference. You're changing lives. You are raising a generation as a spiritual parent and you will never get a promotion. Let's pray together and I'll hand back to, to Suze. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together today. And I just want to thank you for these leaders and how they faithfully are just serving you in their context. Many as volunteers, some as staff, part-time, full-time, and just giving something of themselves to be a spiritual parent to raise up a young person or two or 20 or, or 200, however many it is in, in, in Christ. And Lord God, I pray just even now by your Holy Spirit, they'd hear a well done, good and faithful servant resounding in their spirits. Lord God, I pray also by your Holy Spirit, you would take the um, flawed words I've said today and whatever it is that you're wanting to say to each of us as an individual to ask us to act upon, and to translate into practice in our youth ministries. Lord God, I pray that thing might just stick out by the power of your spirit. To you be the glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's gone. Do I need to? Okay, man. That wasn't what I expected. Um, can we give it up for Tim one more time? Because really, really good, man. Um, t t yeah, Tim, you're a wordsmith, mate. And we, we, it's just, and I just love his passion. You know, if Tim was the only person left on Australia where I'm from, and he was just with the kangaroos, I reckon he'd get him to jump high, wouldn't he? <laughs> just the motivation to keep going with young people is just so good, man. But hey, as we've got Tim, um, I'd love to give you guys an opportunity to ask some questions. Maybe just like we're in the presence of someone who's worked with young people, poured out their lives for many, many years, like he said, and clearly loves young people. Um, so, hey, let's glean something, hey? So any questions, no question, yes, how that's like how that's functionally helped us or like how we came the process by which we came to that clarity yeah so um okay so he, here's a good example um so in the context of, of our youth ministry we came to this kind of clarity around what we're about is helping those who are far from god to discover full life through jesus what that meant for us then is that if we were only engaging with the children of the parents who already came to our church, then we weren't succeeding in our mission. So it might have looked or felt good, but it wasn't the thing that we felt that God was asking us to do. Now, therefore, that inspired us to begin to think about, actually, if we're about helping those who are far from God to discover full life through Jesus, how are we going to engage in the community? And so it inspired us to build into our youth ministry practice a consistent rhythm of doing schools work. So we built good relationships with the school. We began to do assemblies and RE lessons and PHSE days and lunchtime clubs and all those kinds of things because we wanted to engage with young people who were, were far from God. So... Um, whereas there may have been some other things. I'm trying to think of an example now. I do remember a time when one person on our team particular, in particular was really urging us to um, do things that felt 
more traditionally churchy, I guess. And we resisted that because we wanted everything in our language and everything about what we were doing to be accessible and in unashamedly spiritual, but accessible for those young people who had never been in a church environment before. And so everything was really well explained. And we did teaching segments that were on video because we found that they were more engaged by that rather than standing up and doing a preach, for example. Do you, do you see what I mean? And so that, that mission then that we had was informing like every choice that we made. And there were certain things that we, it drove us to do like engage with the schools, and there were certain things that it stopped us from doing because we knew, actually, that's, that's great for some youth ministries, but that's not the assignment that God has for us. And so it meant we, we didn't just try to do everything, but then we focused on, actually, what will, help, what will help us to help those who are far from God discover full life through Jesus? So that's maybe one example. Does that help to clarify it? Yeah, yeah. okay, wonderful. That's great. Any others? Any questions? Very good question, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the pur- for the purposes of recording, sorry, I should have done that before. Um, how do you encourage encounters with God? Well, this is a great question because, um, as aforementioned, we were in a context where we didn't have young people who were used to singing or ministry times or raising hands in worship or, or things like that. Um, and we have done that. We have done singing. We have done ministry time like you might experience at DTI. Um, but all is kind of from the ground up, like really well explained. However, let me give you a couple of things that we've done that have been really great. With uh, And actually, one of these was informed by, you remember that moment where we, like, we had lockdown and we were online and then we could come back for a bit, but we were all socially distanced wearing face masks? So we did an emoji night during that period of time when we were back and we couldn't, you weren't allowed to sing, were you? So we didn't do any songs. And what we did is we did a guided meditation so we just asked young people to be quiet and to find a space in the room and to lie down. And we had some like twingly twangly Holy Spirit music going on. Um, and we just simply asked young people to imagine that they were in a safe space. Obviously, this, was, this process was done slowly. Um, and, and, and you're alone. Now, somebody's there with you. It's, it's presence. It feels safe, but also a little bit scary at the same time. And you look around, Jesus is there. How do you see him? How do you see him now? How does he show himself to you? What do you want to say to him? Just say whatever you want to say to Jesus. And then we said, now ask Jesus, what does he want to say to you? Left a gap. And then slowly faded out the twingly twangly music. <laughs> and then we got together in, in groups. And I'm telling you, it was amazing. We had one young person, I remember it now over here, like, like she's she's weeping she can't get the like she can't get the words out because she's been so impacted by this moment of encounter that she's had with god we've got <laughs> I, I i still talk to her now often um uh, we've got we've got a young person with um, asperger's and she, and i asked her so how how was that for you how 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 that feel she's like yeah no um <laughs> she goes no i don't think i really um heard anything felt anything no and she then and then she went yeah, all my anxiety's gone, and I just feel really at peace. But <laughs> I was like, I think, think that could be Jesus, you know. <laughs> and it's just a really, like, simple, like, no setup, you know, just so simple. Um, and thankfully, the young people trusted us enough. We had the relationship, like we talked about, um, for them to trust us and to go with it. I'd also encourage things like um, Alexio Divina. Have you, have you tried this? Just a simple passage of scripture. Ask them to read it through slowly. Uh, like, ask the Holy Spirit to draw their attention to a certain pas- part of that passage. What's God saying to you through that? That whole, yeah, like, if you don't know what it is, I don't have time to explain, but, but Google it. Or something, something else that we've done is um, the object game. Have you ever tried this? So this is where, you, this is to help young people hear from God and prophesy right? So you just get a bunch of objects that you've got in the room. You've got a microphone, you've got a notepad, you've got an iPad, you've got a pen, you've got a pair of glasses, you've got a wallet, you've got a whatever, a vape, I don't know, whatever's in the room. <laughs> whatever's in the room. And you put all the, these things in the middle and you set, you set the ground rules. You say, 
only, only what encourages and builds up. This is all we're going to share. If you feel like God says something to you which like, is a challenge or a correction or a direction, you don't say it in this context. You come and talk to me as a youth leader because we're, 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 we're helping you, particularly in our context, like babies in a, in a spiritual sense to become mature. So we want to set the ground rules like that. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to draw our attention to a certain object. Ask him to do it now. Oh yeah, the vape. <laughs> um, and we're gonna okay. Now you're gonna ask God, what is He wanting to say to you through that? He's trying to say, stop vaping, um, or, or whatever it is. <laughs> who is who is He saying that for now? Oh, He's saying that for Gareth. Um, Gareth, I think the Lord is saying, stop vaping. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a silly example. Now, is some of the stuff that they say potentially something that they've made up? Yes, it is. Does it matter? No, because we've set the ground rules encouraging. We've created an environment in which we're getting them to open themselves up to the idea that, ah, actually God can speak to me. And we're beginning to learn together how to hear from God. You know what I mean? And some of the things that they say will be right on the money, absolutely profound, and will be so encouraging for that young person they share it with. And you know what happens in those contexts is that it's equally as encouraging, if not more, for that young person who goes, wow, God actually said something to me for that person. So there's just three ways that we've tried that don't involve like high production, big worship band, hey, let's wait on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm not saying don't do that. We've done that too. But there's just a few ways that we can encourage encounter, particularly with young people, particularly in smaller groups, particularly with young people who maybe haven't had that experience before. It's great, man. Great. Anyone, maybe last question or... Yep. So all of them, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and me. Uh, the, the question was, yeah, what's been effective in encouraging youth leaders who are maybe um, tired and weary um, and and struggling? And are you talking about, yeah, so volunteers or like young people who are young leaders on your team? And... Uh, adult leaders, like working full time. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the heroes, yeah. heroes, absolute heroes. Um, oh, this is a big question. Um, okay, so on the one hand, there are a few kind of principles um, which help us with that. So stuff like, um, let's be sure that as present in our mind as investing in the lives of our young people is investing in the lives of our team. Because actually that's a leadership role, isn't it? That we're trying to draw out the giftedness and the best of those people. Um, so are we meeting together as a team? And it's a little tricky one, isn't it? Because you don't want like, oh, here's another demand. Yeah. But it, when we meet, we really want to make them feel valued and encouraged. Um, another is... Um, one of the things that we adopted in our youth uh, ministry, I stole it from a worship team when I was preaching at a church, and they did this. We called it shout-outs. And um, what we did is, when we reflected after the session each week, we went around the circle, everyone gave a reflection, I, I thought this went really well, oh, do you, this bit of equipment's broken, we need to make sure we, we replace that, you know, did some reflections. But everybody was, is required to shout out somebody else for something great that they did that night. You know, I love the way that you talked to Sarah. Just could see that you were really listening well to her, and I, I really felt like there was some a breakthrough that happened. You did a great job with that. Oh, Suze, do you know what? You, and and people are. It's just. And so what we're trying to do is create a culture of encouragement. Does that make sense? Yeah. So steal that idea because I stole it from someone else. Uh, because because then it's not just like oh man, we're all kind of reached a low ebb. I should probably encourage the team. We're trying to create a continual culture of encouragement. And the beauty of the shout-outs is this. It means that everyone on the team knows they're going to have to do a shout-out at the end. So you're all looking out for the good things that everyone else is doing. It's so good. Like, because, oh, I've got to remember, oh, yeah, I see that, I see that conversation. I'll clock that for shout-outs later. Do you, do you see what I mean? Um, so, so that's been really, really good. Um, I do also think there's a bigger question 
in what you've asked. And it's and it is are uh, is our are our models of ministry so high maintenance that they actus, actually rob us of the joy of Christ that we're trying to share. And actually, you know, I, this, this is a whole other session in its own right, but I do think there's a deeper question about actually, could we strip back on program and production in order to create more margin yeah. and joy yeah. for our team. Now, I don't know, obviously, the context of your youth ministry, and so that would be a constant, but I think that is like a big question to reflect on and something I think that out of the pandemic, we've all gone, oh, we were busy, right? And maybe we don't want to just revisit that. And so maybe there's, you know, so Gareth and I, we're experimenting with just like some simple kind of church at the moment to, to try and answer that question. But yeah, that's probably more than I can get into right now. It's <laughs> great. Thanks, it's everybody. Great, Tim. Yeah, thank Tim again. Thank you, mate. And uh, so I'll just say, if you did want to chat any more and had any questions that you didn't get the chance to ask, I'm more than happy to have a chat. Of course. Afterwards.